This is IVP. The Disruptors Season 2 is going to be a problem. <laughs> no tracks, never been a fabricator, but like MOK, I've been an agitator. The name of the podcast is kind of the theme. It's about people whose faith in God led them into disruption. And season two is we're looking at like, well, what happens after you've kind of raised that alarm? How do you build something that's sustainable? The end of season one got swallowed up by the pandemic. Yeah. Because the world was changing. Now I have like this national column in a large newspaper. And so like my world is different on the other side of the pandemic. So I think this podcast, is it going to be less fun? No, because like I actually have a little bit more leeway now. Like, <laughs> well, you have a lot more. Yeah, I mean, I'm a that's lot more. kind of the that's yeah. kind of the whole. Yeah, in season one last summer, I was just like someone who was an outsider. I was I was new to my job. I was new to university. Still in the process of writing my book. And now the book is coming out, and there's a lot of buzz behind it. And now the question is, well, what is what's going to happen? The first season, it was like, hey. Have we got an opportunity for you to yeah. host this podcast? Yeah. And now we're practically begging you to come yeah. back and host it yeah. again. <laughs> There's a clear power shift. In this season, it's like, well, you do the podcast. It's like, well, what's in it for me? Now the money got to be right. <laughs> I can give up now. I keep going. Settle down. Not ever knowing. Won't let my history bury me. Because I ain't doing this just for me. In season one. There was this sense in which all of the people who were on the podcast were raising these questions that we weren't sure that the church actually wanted to hear the answer to. But coming out of the pandemic and with the racial unrest that was going on because of anti-black violence against black people, the same people who were ignored in season one, the same kinds of people are now at the center of the conversation post-pandemic. Yeah, that's wild. All of these institutions who were ignoring us and now saying, please come help. All of those books about anti-racism and injustice shot up the charts. Some of those books were like years old. Jamar's book was years old. Latasha Morrison, Be the Bridge. Austin Channing Brown's book goes into the New York Times bestsellers list. And the question is, when people are ready to listen, what do you have to say? And so season, season two is hopefully what we have to say about injustice, about police reform, about anti-blackness in, in the church and in the culture. How do you do more than just call attention to the problem? How do you build something constructive that begins to address it? The lineup of the podcast is what we think the church should be. A multicultural coalition of people contending for, for fidelity to the faith once delivered. And because of that fidelity, like contending for justice in the public square. We're intentional in this podcast about lifting up the voices of the kinds of people who aren't often seen as leaders in the church. We're paying particular attention to having a diverse lineup, women of color. We have African-Americans, we have Asian-Americans, we have Latino brothers and sisters. What does it mean for someone to like look at something and say, well, this has to change, but like it has to change in a way that's more faithful. And so they seem to be like these two lanes which is to say the problems aren't that bad, or to say the problems are inextricably tied to orthodoxy. And I just disagree. There's more continuity with the great tradition than 
than I think that some people might want to accept. Lecrae is a hip-hop artist. I think he's won some Grammys and some Dove Awards and probably just about any other kind of award you can get from music. He's the co-founder of Reach Records. You got an album called Anomaly, so you know exactly what it's like to kind of be in a place as a Christian and fit and not fit. In some ways, you're kind of like a harbinger of kind of what it looks like to be a Christian in public spaces, especially someone who mm-hmm. was initially interacting with kind of white Christian spaces. Mm, yeah. He's also, I think, acted in some movies. He has owns a couple of businesses. He's a philanthropist. I think in the, the modern parlance, they call them creatives, where they don't just stick to one genre, where they just kind of are involved in the arts more broadly. If you look at like the early part of your career, peaking with Gravity and Anomaly. Gravity goes to number one. You're on Jimmy Fallon. I mean, I remember when, when Gravity dropped, like every Christian everywhere, black, white, yellow, brown, green, whatever, mm-hmm. was like sharing it. Everybody needs to get Gravity. That was like the, the time of everybody loves Lecrae. Is that fair? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so then like things start happening in the culture. You start talking about issues of injustice, and then you deal with this backlash. And I think that like things like All Things Work Together for the Good it's kind of like the album that comes after that. And then you paid the price for it. Mm-hmm. How have you managed to build something that's sustainable after having like this moment of everybody loves me, but now I have enemies and people who don't like kind of what I'm saying. How do you build a mm-hmm. career and even a business that's sustainable on the other side of kind of like that backlash? What does it look like after you paid that price? How do you do that? That was a season in my life where I, I realized that I was going to have to pivot. I was going to have to make some financial adjustments uh, because the window was closing. And not only was it closing, but it also was a a stern reminder that I never want to have to be dependent on someone else to provide for my family. Um, I never want to have to be dependent on having to be inauthentic in order to put food on the table. And so I had made up my mind in that space that I'm going to be authentically myself. And before I'm controlled and before I am, um, you know, uh, subjected to being objectified, I will rather find a nine to five somewhere. Um, so the first step for me was, was seeing, okay, well, who is my audience? You know, who will support me and is and and what will the financial model look like if everybody doesn't love me? How can I build something sustainable on the people who will support me for being authentically myself? But then even outside of that, you know, making your money off of being a public figure is kind of like the stock market. So you know, you just never know. The stocks go down and people don't support. So so I needed to also have some sense of of securities bonds yes. so to speak and uh and so so honestly creating more assets than just music um in my life was was a very crucial piece of what i had to do was say okay let's leverage what i have done you know as far as the music industry is concerned and let's start diversifying and looking at different entities uh to make sure that what i'm doing is sustainable and it made it funner because if I know now that a real that real estate is paying my bills, 
then it's funner to do music because I'm not having to create in order to have the bills paid. I'm creating in order to be authentic and um, and impactful. Uh, if it's possible, I want to say like a few more things about all things work together because this is like the first version mm-hmm. of it. And then like restoration, at least in my, my mind, feels like the perfection of the method. And so like when you first started writing in this like new place, how did it, how did it change the way that you wrote music in a way that you did music with this new sense of freedom? Was it like, was it a new experience? Was it similar? Was it different? Yeah, it's very new. Um, so extremely new, I think. Anomaly was me, like, I was pushing, but in a very, like, covert way. So when you write a song like Dirty Water, you're talking about racism and, and racial inequalities. Yeah. But but they don't quite pick up on it. You know, it's like, well, no, nah, that can't be what he's saying, you know, because... We know him and we love him. So that he must be talking about something else. Welcome to America was like that, too. Like it was there. Yes. But it was also in the midst of a story about patriotism in the midst of a story about immigration. So it's kind of like, well, maybe that's not what he's saying. And so you're kind of playing all sides in some senses or, or, or safe. Yeah. But then by the time I got to all things work together, I think I was just done. I think I was just. I was fried. It was it was the equivalent of the tweet that I had put out in 2016 when I said, uh, "This is a picture of my family during July 4th, 1776," and it was slaves in the in the field picking cotton. Can I tell you something about that picture? This will be funny to you. So yeah. you posted that tweet, and I actually wrote an article called "Lecrae Patriotism in the Fourth of July" because I wow. saw people were getting mad about you. Let me tell you how this works. The person who tweeted it out was Alex Medina. And it was the first time somebody who was like a public figure had paid attention to anything that I wrote. And I remember when Alex started following me on social media, I was like, man, I made it. Alex Medina <laughs> <laughs> shared this because like you can still find it for those of you who are like um, like Google Google masters or whatever. It was I remember that tweet and I was like, you know what? I'm here for the revolution. <laughs> And so I jumped in right at the minute. So, anyways, I, I remember that tweet. I, I wrote, I wrote a whole article like saying he's exactly right. Wow. Yeah. I, but that that was the mind state I had was there's clearly something wrong, and I, and now and I realized that nobody wants to pay attention to it. And um and I've always been a disruptor um uh, from the beginnings of my career. It's just that it fit within the context of. Western Christianity and evangelical substructures, yeah. so or subcultures. So, so they, they were fine with me being a disruptor as far as like, we need to go on missions. Yeah, yeah I like that. Tell yeah. us, we need to care about disenfranchised people groups financially. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I, I'm, I'm with that. We need to be rebels and not, yeah. you know, do what society. Yeah, we love it. We need to stand up for the rights of black people. Whoa. Hold up now. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> I remember um, on All Things Work Together, I keep sliding into the Paul version of it. I'm trying to give like the the crate ad- adjustment. But at the end yeah. of, I forget, maybe it's facts. He said like, I'm young, black. What's the line that you say? I'm young, black, and I still, uh, something about the chicken shack. And I was like, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that, sorry, that, you know. that minute of that song with the beat switch, I was like, oh, we're entering like a new era. And so the question right. is, like, do you feel like that album or at least portions of that album? Because I think by the time you get to things like 828 at the end of the mm-hmm. album, like there's some resolution. But do you think that you were like angry during that era? And like, how would you compare like that with like what we see in Restoration? I was absolutely angry. 
I was absolutely angry. There was unresolved anger. Um, I was still trying to navigate my faith. I wrote All Things Work Together, not because I believed all things work together, because I needed to believe that. I needed to believe that was true because everything I saw going on around me made no sense. And um, and yeah. so I couldn't make sense of it. It was like a verbal processing is really what that album was. It was me processing out loud what I'm experiencing, what I'm seeing, me responding um, to what I have I've been learning. And um, and me, I, honestly, that album was me saying, I'm done being objectified. I'm done being a puppet or a symbol of whatever brand of Christianity that people subscribe to. I, I cannot be bought. And that was that was kind of what that album uh, was symbolic of. And, and it was a lament because I was afraid and scared at the same time. But I was angry. You know, what is it like to be a public figure? whose ups and downs spiritually are like, because you're, you're always writing, you're always doing things. What is it like to be a public figure who has to kind of figure out their faith in public? Like most people who kind of go through the season that you went through don't have to put out an album in the middle of it. And so like, what is that, what is that like as a creative to say like, I'm going through this thing spiritually that um, now everybody wants to hear about, but as someone who's written a book, by the time the the music comes out, you might not even be in the same space you were when you wrote it. So what's that like as, as, as a public figure who's trying to figure these things out in public? Initially, it's exhausting uh, because you're constantly having to answer and, and defend and refute. But then, you know, you just get to a place. It's kind of like my mom told me, you know, once once she hit 65, she was just like, this is who I am. And it's not that I can't grow anymore, but I'm very confident and comfortable in acknowledging who I am at this point. And um, and I think in a weird way, you know, I, I hit 65 <laughs> uh, in some senses of saying, listen, y'all, I'm growing and I'm in process always. So those of you who love me are going to be able to deal with that nuance. Um, those of you who are bent on being judgmental toward me, um, I just... I can't give that energy, you know, because even now I'll see stuff come out like somebody tweeted something out that was like, oh, man, he's just digressed so much spiritually. I remember when he was this and I and I just, I, you know, it was, it was a decently prominent Christian leader who said that. But then I thought to myself, I was like, you never speak up when I do something that you that is helpful or beneficial or profitable. Like this is the one moment that you decide to use your voice. And so that tells me you don't really care about me holistically. You just want me, you you care about the attention that it gets you by addressing where I fall short, or you want to objectify me and you want me to be what you want me to be. And, and if I don't do that, if I don't comply, then you're going to raise your voice. When you had to deal with like, I mean, I've seen this. It's, it's so It's so weird because and I, and I hope this doesn't sound paternalistic. There's a lot of people who've kind of been on a similar journey. And when, when they mm. see you being attacked, it feels like we're being attacked. And mm -hmm. like the mm -hmm. same people who've kind of gone through this place. And so there is this real sense in which we all want to jump in and say, no, leave Lecrae alone. But, but the question I want to ask is that when you in this context where there's these people who once affirmed you, who then kind of abandoned you and now they're all publicly critical how how do you, I mean, there's one thing to be independent from like kind of the, 
the evangelical edit or the ways in which they try to control us. How do you find people who you can trust, who can speak into your life, who you don't just dis- dismiss as a hater, right? Because one of the things that it's easy to do potentially is to isolate, especially as you're an African-American Christian and you're trying to like live in the public world. And a lot of Christians are the ones who are criticizing you. How do you not just like close everything down and do what is right in your own eyes? Or is that what you have to do? Yeah, I would hope you wouldn't have to do that. Hopefully yeah. I went through that so nobody else has to. Yeah. Uh, Jay-Z said Hove did that, so y'all don't have to go through that. Yeah. I was actually um, thinking of this, um, the line that um, Swoop did in one album. He said, if you like the old one, go and listen to the old one. <laughs> and so that's what you're yeah. talking about. So it's funny you were thinking about a Jay-Z line. I was thinking about one too. And you're talking about people who want the old Lecrae back. But yeah, so how do you, how do you, yeah. how do you kind of live with some sense of kind of spiritual like accountability is the wrong word, spiritual guidance and accountability after right. having been burned by so many Christians. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I can only hope that there will be people who would intentionally care to reach their arms out and be gracious and understanding, especially toward leaders, because leaders are um, amongst some of the loneliest people uh, because everyone's looking for them to give guidance. And so no one is actually trying to reach out to give guidance and provide strength. Um, so for me, I, I did exactly that. I, I lost all sense of direction and was so disoriented and disenchanted with Christianity that I had to deconstruct my faith and reconstruct it uh, with, by the grace of God. I, I would hope other people won't have to go through that, which is why I'm writing a book so that people can say, okay, this is a journey that someone's been through before me and I can see this and, and process this. But yeah, I, I think it is um, aligning and finding voices. I think that the unique thing is that uh, for African-American Christians in America, this was a unique time. So there weren't really any voices that had prominence that were able to navigate orthodoxy and orthopraxy or were able to navigate how we deal with what's happening in this kind of neo-civil rights era and what the scriptures say. Yeah. There were few, few voices. Um, so I would, you know, by God's grace, a few of them I was able to find um, because of my platform that I could go talk to. Yeah. But had I not had the platform I had, I don't know what, what it would have looked like. So, um, so now I think we're having more resources. You are a phenomenal resource for people. You know, I can point to you. I can point to Vincent Bantu. I can, you know, point to to different individuals now that that were not in existence uh, with literature and with thoughts publicly. So, so I know a lot of people talk about like how one album leads to kind of the next one. Do you think that you had to write all things work together and let the trap say amen in order to write restoration? And what was the process like of writing restoration? Because it feels like a much different album. It's like mm-hmm. the, all of the edges, the edges there, the clarity is there. But I feel like there, I feel like there's a confidence in the album. There's a clarity, a focus that it feels different. So do you feel like you had to go through those two albums to get to this one? Or was it just completely separated? No, absolutely. I think um, I think all things work together was um, me trying to figure out how to say things to um, a largely white audience um, that were on my chest um, and 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 navigating how to do that, and at the same time 
be cathartic for a black audience. Um, Let the Trap Say Man was almost like, uh, it's it's almost like putting on the dashiki and African medallion saying, I'm, I'm, I'm making this. Yes. You know what I mean? That's what I felt. It it felt, it felt like it was like, (laughs) you know what? This, this is me. Cause it was like, it was very, it was, it was trap music. It was Beethoven. It was like, it it was clear. It was a clear break for, um, with kind of a certain way of, of doing music. And so I don't, and I, and I don't think that either one, I don't think they let the trap say amen actually went away. Cause you hear some of that on restoration. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah, yeah, restoration is the phenotype. So the question I wanted to ask you then is that there's this song, there's so many, there's so many things you do on restoration. I'm gonna ask you a couple of questions about it. So when you do something like Restore Me moving into um the Shackle song, it feels like they're like a part A and part B. You do it in a couple mm-hmm. of other places where there's like Saturday night and Sunday morning. And mm-hmm. so it seems like there's a lot of times on the album where there's just like th- these questions raised and then the res- in the resolution. Was that intentional or was that just something that like I'm listening to like a- as a listener and I'm kind of creating meaning that isn't there? No, it's extremely intentional. Um, it, it's, it's supposed to be cohesive. It's supposed to, to be a, a journey and, um, and, 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 and a, a bit of a discombobulated journey, right? Because yeah. we're used to journeys that resolve yeah. um, and not journeys that, you know, act one, act two, act three is what we're used to. Yeah. You know, act one, we set the stage, you know, here's what's going on. Act two, you see the problems emerge and the conflict happens. And and then act three is the, the resolution of the conflict. Well, this journey is a journey where we're saying, hey, there's conflict, uh, we set the stage, you know, we need restoration. Um, and then we're moving into like, you know, what, what that process looks like. Um, but then it doesn't resolve quickly. Yeah. Something like zombie later on in the album and which deals mm-hmm. with that kind of ongoing tension versus like, if you're going to do the standard kind of structure, you'd put zombie at the beginning and then it'd be like, here's 15 tracks about how Jesus is amazing. Exactly. Exactly. Sorry. And, I, I, and that's, the process of restoration, it's an ongoing process. So the last the last song on the album is called Nothing Left to Hide, mm-hmm. which I found like, it's, I mean, that's a lot. That's, that's First of all, that title is heavy. Um, <laughs> and then like the content of the song has just like, it feels like, it feels like you're just saying this is the declaration of where I arrived as a Christian. And as a person, so it feels like almost the end of something. Is that is that what you is that what you wanted to say? And then the question is, if this if nothing left to hide is like this is who I am, this is what I've been through. Like, well, then what comes after there's nothing left to hide when you've left everything out and you've just spoken about like what what God can do? I mean, mm-hmm. what's the next part after nothing left to hide? After you've kind of made this declaration that this is where I've arrived, you begin your your life in that season. So, so I would liken it to, let's say my career was a a walk through my singleness. And, you know, as I, you're used to me as a single person and he's like, oh, he's single. And then all of a sudden I'm thinking, you know what, I'm, I'm processing if I want to be single and all the single people like, yeah, you want to be single. You're our champion. You're single. We're single. Let's be single. And then I'm saying, I don't know. I'm, 
I'm dating somebody. And they're like, oh my gosh, now he's said he's dating. He said he had the gift of singleness and now he's dating. What is going now? And that's the, the, uh, all things work together era. It's like, I, I am dating. I'm dating somebody yeah. and I'm, and, and I think it's okay. And you're going to have to deal with that. And then restoration is I'm married. Yeah. I'm married and I'm going to be a married man. And this is my position. And, and now anything after that is my new life with a wife. And so, um, this is where I've landed. This is where I'm at. I'm firm here. I'm a black man in America. I am, uh, you know, I am okay with nuance. So some people would want to want to really have a, a, a very tight definition and reins on who I am and what denomination are you and what's your political affiliation. And, and to them, I just say, I'm, I'm kingdom oriented. And it's not to be vague. It's to say that there's so much nuance in where I've landed that, that I cannot give you what you're asking for. Um, and so, I'm saying, who do who do men say that I am? <laughs> so the, the, inter, the interesting thing about that, and forgive me once again if I'm over-interpreting it. No, nah. like that last song is that like a is that like an African chant in the background? It is. And yes. so the the reason I thought that was interesting when you had nothing left to hide is that you talked a lot about how going back to like the roots of Christianity and Christianity in Africa was a key part of restoring your faith. And then you get to the last song on restoration and there's this African chant in the background while you're rapping about restore me. And as someone who's kind of followed your journey closely, it felt like it was like the, 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 the music of the song represented like the content of your actual journey. Was that intentional? Or was that just the song? You that ended up very there? perceptive, <laughs> man, you're perceptive. That's crazy. It, it honestly is, what I wanted to do was I wanted to incorporate um, all of who I am. And I wanted to just wrap it up in in a way that felt um, authentic. It's almost like, um, it, it, I, I'm, I'm big on analogies because they help me articulate yeah. what I'm trying to say. But, but I would say it's like, you know, when I was trying to help people understand I am a Christian, but I rap. And so my, this is like a classic hip hop beat. Why is it a classic hip hop beat? Because I'm a rapper. Yes. And so it's not going to be infused with EDM or CCM or pop. It's going to be hip hop because yeah. that's who I am. And so this song is like, no, we're putting the origins uh, of the roots of my faith and me going to Africa and me being, you know, uh, a part of that diaspora in this music coupled with a firm stance on what I believe about Jesus and what I believe about, you know, these particular issues in society. Hey everybody, Richard here, producer of The Disruptors. InterVarsity Press wanted me to let you know that you can go to ivpress.com slash disruptors with an E to learn more about IVP books and get 30% off all titles with free shipping. And now let's go back to the conversation. Lecrae, this is Richard. I was really fascinated by the way you talked about let the trap say amen as this break, you know, as a, mm. as a, as a time of like sort of 
heartbreak declaring I'm this, not necessarily that thing over there. You talk about authenticity and freedom as like a really important part of your journey and you're clearly, you know, at that space now. I'm curious how important that hard break is for you. Um, like that, not as a place where you've stayed, but like as a place where you, you sort of were for a minute, like how important was that for you to end up where you are now? I think the break allows you to, to, play with ideas and to find yourself and to navigate and to pick up the ball and drop the ball. Um, the break is just an opportunity to see, you know, where you are, what, and, and what you can do. And, um, and, you know, without feeling like you have the, to lean on something to me, the break is almost like moving out of your parents' house and just to see like, how is this going to be in this apartment? Um, for the first time and you just express yourself and your freedoms and you're like, I'm not cleaning up today. I'm not waking up early. I'm not doing any of these things. And I think that's important. Eventually you'll, you'll get back to a, a structured schedule, but in this season, you just needed to see what it felt like. Um, you needed to, to just express who you are and learn who you are. It was so funny. Cause I was watching the videos, um, leading up the restoration and this beat was playing in the background of some of those. I was like, man, if that beat is not on the album, it's going to be a problem. And so the question, <laughs> and then it came in at the very end. I was like, because I listened to the whole album. I was like, man, he had that beat in the video and he didn't give us a, a song to it. The question I wanted to ask you related to that, though, is one of the things that that I'm assuming that you deal with as a hip hop like artist is that the content that you often put out is not as similar to the content that you see in the secular space. And for that reason, regardless of how like the bars are, regardless of the beat, there's always the question of authenticity. So like, how have mm -hmm. you like, how have you made yourself comfortable, like being who you are, not necessarily just in the Christian circle, but as a, mm -hmm. as an artist who sells well, who, you know, who does numbers, but who may kind of mm -hmm. be perceived differently because of your content as an artist in a public square, that's, that's similar to, I know we're not all like, you know, out with Grammy winning people, but Christians who are just doing their work in the public square where it's not all surrounded by Christians. So how have you dealt with being comfortable mm -hmm. being different and feeling authentic? Yeah. I, I think, um, oftentimes what you, where you find yourself is you find yourself, um, learning how to connect with people, uh, on various topics and various issues and various things, and so in the in the public sphere, the public specter, uh, uh, sector, um, I think there's a fear that if I can if I connect with people outside of my faith on sports or on uh, the work that we're doing together side by side, that is some kind of way going to dilute the authenticity of what I believe or work, but in all, in all actuality, when you lean into it, it strengthens what you believe because you're allowed to then put it in action. You know, you're allowed to then navigate it in a way that is profitable and fruitful and, and helps people see the, the delineation and why you're different. It reminds me of a story that I heard of a, a Korean gentleman, I believe he was at a, um, a concentration camp and he didn't believe in religion. He was okay with saying, I don't think people need religion or faith in order to be decent people. Um, but then once he was in the concentration camp, he saw that, that these people were under pressure and those who did not subscribe to faith became very selfish and protecting. And then he began to say, oh my, 
the people who don't have uh, a, a, a subscribe to faith, they're, they're self-preservationists. And, and, and then he saw a, a young man who was a, a professing believer. And this young man was creating games for the teenagers to do while they were trapped. And they, and he was just giving away all his things. And, and he began to say, well, wow, this, this guy is, um, is engaging in a way that I, I've not seen. And I think that is what you begin to be able to do in a public sphere. You begin to say, how can I serve here? How can I make, you know, uh, bring to life the things that I see in, in scripture and see the things that Jesus does? Um, and, and so to me, it, it becomes beneficial once you can just embrace that this is who you are. You know, you are authentically this. Um, whatever that is. If you're an astrophysicist, you are authentically a scientist and you're authentically a believer and you embrace them both. We talked about how restoration feels like this journey with the cohesive end with nothing left to hide. And you talked about how now you're married. I know I've heard people say, did you mention in other interviews that this might be your last full album or your last album for a while? So the question is like, what does, and you've already talked about how you transitioned from being, you know, to having multiple streams of income as a business owner. But like, what would, what would you say then if you had to look for, towards the future? I know it's really hard because you're celebrating the album that just came out. But what would you say would be the future for you and Reach Records and like Lecrae post-restoration if it isn't, you know, album, album, album? Um, what do you think's next? For me, I'm just content. I'm very content as far as my musical contribution. I feel like um, I don't have anything to prove. I don't have anything to, you know, I'm, I'm content. If this ends up being the last album I ever make, I, I'm okay with that. If it's not, um, it's because I wanted to do it. And it's because, you know, there was no pressure. There was no, you know, need. I always make music. I love music. So you 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 may hear songs and, and contributions, but I won't feel pressed to, to produce a, an album if I don't feel like it. Um, as far as Lecrae and Reach Records, um, I want to begin to, to, to give people opportunities. I'm a, I, I love what Jay-Z has done as an artist because he's created opportunities for other artists, you know, by, by Rock Nation. You know, Rock Nation is touching so many other artists and they're able to be have exposure or, um, you know, the, the sports network. He's been able to touch the sports network and just opening up doors for other people. And that's something that I really want to begin to to spend a lot of time doing um, is is helping move other people through the door um, as artists and as uh, creatives. So I'll make music as I feel inspired. An album is different because an album is a, a thought out, cohesive unit, a body. Whereas if I decide, you know what, I want to put out a playlist or a mixtape um, and I just want to rap. You know, I just want to just rap and over whatever I want to rap to. It's fun. It's free. It's like a pickup game of basketball. There's no championship on the line. It's just, I just want to do it. Well, I hope that you do, because I felt like the, the the music and like the, actually, I thought the rapping on uh, Restoration was particularly strong. It felt like you're kind of coming into like you know how you have like LeBron has like sorry this is me. this is the, the last sports one I think LeBron's the greatest <laughs> basketball player in the history of sports but that's okay it's another conversation but LeBron is great because yeah. he had like these 
so it's a terrible keep, opinion. I know it's a terrible. I know it's a terrible we'll, opinion. The we'll, internet, we'll keep the internet keeps dunking on me. It's like the one thing that like <laughs> Black America, like his, Black America gets mad. I know we got to go. Black America gets mad. You start talking about LeBron being better than MJ. Yeah. It's another conversation. But what the reason I like about the thing that I like about him is that he kept extending his prime, and so it's like mm. prime after prime after prime. And so you mm-hmm. had like this, like, you know, Jordan had this era, then it kind of slowly goes down. And the only thing I was going to say about that is that like the one thing that I like about Restoration, it feels like the beginning of a, a, like a third act, not the end of something. And so I hope that, they, I, I, that. I, I, I hope, that, you know, what I mean, it doesn't feel like, man, this is Restoration didn't sound like Michael Jordan, like in the Wizards, where it's all nostalgia. It's like, man, every now and then he hits a three and you remember the good old days. I was like, oh, no, like, you, you know, you see LeBron in the Lakers, you're like, oh, he could do, he could keep doing this. And so personally, I hope that you keep you keep writing, you keep producing. But whatever it is you want to do, we want to say thank you for coming on the podcast. We want to encourage everybody to pick up Restoration, to pick up the book. It's the when does the book drop? Is it out? October thirteenth. Okay, then October thirteenth. Um, pick up the book. Yeah. I think that's available on Amazon, wherever books are sold. Thank you so much for your time and listen to Restoration. Listen to it from beginning to end. It's like a cohesive album. It's like it's like music that you used to listen to when you could listen to it from front to back. There's not a skippable song on there. Thank you. I really appreciate it. And you really blessed us with it. Thank you for listening to The Disruptors. We will be grateful if you would subscribe, rate, and review the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. You can follow me at Esau McCauley, and you can check out the best and most disruptive offerings from InterVarsity Press authors at IVPress.com. 